Come on in, grab your drink. All right, we're going to be uh, looking at the story of the resurrection this morning. We're going to be reading from John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you may want to follow it on in your Bibles. I'm reading from the NIV. The words will appear on the screen as well. Um, we'll start off by reading um, the first part of chapter 20 up to 24, and then we're going to read the rest of it a little later as well. Um, and uh, my little remote control is not working, so uh, we're going to be working it from the back. So hopefully we'll be able to follow on. All good. All right, John chapter 20 says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's probably John himself who's writing the gospel and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen, Finally, the other disciple, John, who'd reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. If you wonder what those angels would have looked like, probably look at Gaston over there, um, something like that. Um, <laughs> and he said they do not know, uh, and they didn't know where, oh, I'm totally lost my place now. Um, <laughs> one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said all these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After that, he showed his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. We're going to stop there right now. 
Okay. What an amazing story. What an incredible thing to happen on that first Easter morning. The tomb is empty. Peter and John and the other uh, women who are with them, Mary Magdalene, they go to the tomb. They see that it's empty. John sees, he believes. Mary sees the risen Lord Jesus. The disciples, apart from Thomas, meet with Jesus. Apart from Thomas. Apart from Thomas, he's not there. Thomas misses out. I wonder if you've ever missed out on a major event. Ever missed out on a major event in life. Something that everyone was talking about, but you just missed out on it. Now, I was trying to think back. Is there something that I have missed in my life that everyone was talking about? And I had to cast my mind back quite a long way. And this isn't going to seem very impressive compared to the resurrection. So just (laughs) warning you. But when I was about, I don't know, 11 years old, the big thing on TV at the time was Dallas. Dallas. And there was this whole thing, J.R. Ewing, it was all in Texas, the oil barons and everything. And there's this, and everyone watched Dallas. And we watched Dallas every week as a family. And there was going to be this, and then J.R. Ewing, he was the big bad, he was the bad guy. He got shot. He survived. And then there was this whole thing about who shot J.R. Who shot J.R.? That was all anyone was talking about. Who shot J.R.? It was in all the news, everything, interviews. Who shot JR? They were going to announce who shot JR. It was going to be the episode where you find out who shot JR. And this is before the days of PVR. It's before the days of video recording. You have to be there to watch it. It was like, it's not going to get repeated either. It was on once who shot JR. We were traveling back from a vacation in Scotland. I hate Scotland. I think it was partly the weather, because it's bad, but it was partly because I cried all the way back at 11 years old from Scotland to home, because I knew I was going to miss the episode where we found out who shot JR. I told you it wasn't impressive, (laughs) but that was me. (laughs) Man, it was so gutting. And then, like, I was devastated, but then I'm having to pretend to my school friends, actually, that I wasn't even that interested. Oh, did you see it? Did you see it? No, no, I'm not interested in that. I don't care about Dallas. (laughs) So you just try to pretend that, you know, oh, I don't really care. Sometimes people do that. It's a way of coping with it. You just say that you're not bothered in the first place. (laughs) Thomas missed a far more important event. Thomas missed out on the resurrected Jesus coming to meet the disciples, the people he'd been with for three years. You know, it may be that that was the only time that it was going to happen as far as Thomas knew. And as far as the disciples knew, it was two days since Jesus had been crucified. The disciples were in hiding. They'd seen their leader taken from them. They'd seen him beaten and killed. And early that morning, as I said, as we've read, Peter and John go to the tomb with Mary and they see that it's empty. Like just seeing the empty tomb is enough for John to believe. It says in verse 8, doesn't it? Finally, the other disciple reached the tomb and went in first. He went inside 
it's empty, he saw and believed. Just seeing the empty tomb, that's enough. John knows Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary, she clearly doesn't believe at that point because she stands outside the tomb and she's still crying. She's not celebrating. She's not believing. She's crying and she's standing outside the tomb. But then Mary herself sees the risen Lord Jesus. She meets him and he speaks to her. And he says, go back and tell the disciples. So she goes back and tells the other disciples who are all in the house. Now, I wonder what their response will have been. Maybe she's thinking that she's a little unhinged, maybe a little mad. Um, whatever it was, they were all together. The doors are locked. They're still in fear of the, uh, Rome, of the authorities um, who could come and arrest them. So the doors are locked. And suddenly, they may be chatting about it. What's going on? You know, you've seen Jesus. Are you sure it was Jesus? Are you sure it wasn't a dream? And, and then they're praying maybe, but then Jesus appears amongst them and he shows them his hands and his side and he speaks to them and he says, you know what? I'm sending you out. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, whether they received the Holy Spirit then or at Pentecost, we're not entirely sure of what happened at that point. But anyway, there was a promise there. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. There's going to be power. There's life coming. It's a truly, truly momentous occasion. Those disciples will never have forgotten that moment. But Thomas was not there. Thomas wasn't there. I mean, what a thing to have missed. What a thing to have missed. I, I, I wonder where he was. I wonder if they'd sent him out to get some milk. <laughs> Maybe he's gone to watch <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> it could well be. We don't know. It doesn't say. So we're speculating. But maybe... Maybe he was just struggling. Maybe he was just struggling with, with recent events. Maybe he was just trying to get his head around what had happened. You know, this person that you've given your life up for for three years, and you say, I'm going to give everything for you, and he's dead. And he's dead. And maybe he just doesn't know what to do. And maybe he just says, I, do you know what, guys? I just need some time alone. I, I, I can't be with you anymore. Whether it was, you know, whatever. He just needed some time, and he goes. And there's often a temptation to withdraw when life gets difficult, when we're struggling and battling with things. And the danger is we can miss out on God if we pull back. And whatever the reason, Thomas missed it. And he arrives back and he's confronted with the news. Jesus has appeared to us. Jesus is alive. We saw him. He was here. He breathed on us. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's all going to be okay. And what's Thomas's response? Thomas's response, he says, unless I see, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my own fingers in his side where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I'm not going to believe it, guys. I'm just not. no excited response. He wants the proof. He wants to see it himself. Does he just want the evidence? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's just skeptical. Maybe he's saying, well, dead people can't come back to life. It's impossible. I'm, not, I'm a rationalist. I'm not going to believe it. Maybe that was it. 
I actually suspect there was more going on than that. But let's, let's take it at face value, first of all. Let's take it at first value that he just wants to see the evidence. He just wants to know that it's true. Because I guess it was an incredible thing to believe. There's lots of things that are claimed in the world that are not true. There's lots of scams that go around. People try and tell us all sorts of things. Oh, you've got to believe this, got to believe that. I was chatting at people, uh, at, with people at Alpha this week, and they were saying, you know what, we, we don't really believe it. We don't really believe that, that Jesus was God. We don't really believe that he rose from the dead. They said, there's, there's all sorts of people tell you things. You get cult leaders, they said, who, who will claim to be the Messiah, claim to be the Son of God. They just manipulate people. They just get people to kill themselves or to die for the sake of it or, or serve. And, and it's true. It's true. Those things do happen. People will manipulate. People will say things to get you to serve them for their own ends. And so we do rightly warn people about just, don't, just be careful with following these things. Don't go to extremes. Worshipping someone who is claimed to be risen from the dead is an extreme. It's an extreme thing to do. So, it, you know, there's some understanding in that. Thomas says, unless I see it myself, I'll not believe it. But actually, he was the only one at that point who didn't believe it. He was hanging out with people who all said they'd seen Jesus. That's not going to be easy for him. Can you imagine what the next week for him was like? The next week, and he's hanging out with his disciples. That's all they're going to have been talking about. All they would have been talking about was Jesus is alive. We've seen him. Do you remember? And he said this, and he came. And that door, it was locked, wasn't it? And he came through the door. How did he get in? He came among it. Did he, did he, it doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say he walked. He's like ghosts, but he doesn't. His, his physical body. They're trying to figure it all out. That's all they're talking about. And Thomas is hearing this all the time. You know, that's all they're talking about. They're probably not talking about sports. They're probably not big hockey fans or anything, so they're not, you know. But that's all they're talking about. Now, I suppose there are good reasons for Thomas not to believe. People generally don't come back from the dead. But there were also some good reasons that Thomas should have believed. Firstly, it says the whole of Scripture points towards this happening. Um, verse 9 in the passage we read, uh, it says, They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples haven't understood from Scripture that it's going to happen. But they have, they've seen the empty tomb, so they're starting to believe. John's believing because he sees the empty tomb. They're not believing it because of Scripture. And if you study Scripture, and we haven't got time to go into it all today, um, Scripture points towards that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to die, but he's going to ra be raised from the dead. There's one, uh, let me read one verse uh, to explain that. Matthew 12 and verse 40. We don't have this on the screen. But Matthew 12 and verse 40, um, Jesus is saying, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it's like, oh, well, just three days and three nights. So there's, there's Scripture and many things in Scripture which point towards uh, Jesus being raised from the dead. Also, Jesus told his disciples that this was going to happen. Again, in Matthew uh, chapter 16 and verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus has told them what's going to happen. 
And all those things have happened so far. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's suffered. He's been killed. And now it's the third day. So he said, and on the third day, I'll be raised to life. But Thomas still isn't believing. Thomas had been with Jesus when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Uh, Brent spoke about that as to whether he went kind of uh, in, in a kind of bit of a grump or whether he went full of faith. But he was like, let's go with him. And they went to, to where Lazarus was buried, and they saw Jesus raise Lazarus to life again. So Thomas has seen someone come out of a tomb. He's seen it, all, he's seen it physically happen. So it's not totally out of his um, imagination. The tomb was empty, and that was enough for John to believe. Mary Magdalene, his friend, had said she'd seen Jesus and spoken to him, and all the other disciples also said that they'd seen Jesus. So in some ways, you could say the evidence actually is pretty strong that even though it seems amazing and miraculous, the evidence is pretty strong that Jesus did rise from the dead. It was stacking up. It was overwhelming, but he still didn't believe. And, and maybe it's no different for us today. Many people would actually believe, that would claim not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, many people would take it even further. There was a survey recently done that showed around 40% of people in the Western world didn't believe that Jesus ever existed as a historical being, as a historical person, even though there's absolutely overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus existed as a person and that he lived at the time that the Bible says he lived uh, and that he was worshipped as God and that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And you can look all of those things up. Historians are are almost unanimous, 99.5% unanimous. Jesus was a historical figure and there's the secular uh, historians who have got no interest in, in getting people to become Christians, and they're writing about Jesus, and they're saying things uh, that stack up with what the Bible says. Now, some people will hear that, and they'll still say, oh, I, I don't believe he ever existed. I believe it's a fairy story. It's just made up. But the evidence is there. A more important question is, well, did Jesus rise from the dead? Whether he existed and was killed and he claimed to be God or the Messiah is one thing. Actually, the key thing is, did he rise from the dead? Because if he didn't rise from the dead, actually, you can claim all you like and you're dead. And, and no, one, no one's going to believe it. Uh, many, many people claim to be the Messiah and they died in different ways. And no one's following them these days. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then there's some... We've got to ask ourselves some questions. Well, what does that mean for me? And why did he rise from the dead? And how does that? And we'll come to that in a minute. So what's the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? I'm only just going to spend a few minutes on this. So historically, Jesus died. He was buried. But a few days later, there was an empty tomb, as we've read here, and it stayed empty. Now, there's many different theories that people have said about why it was empty, they said, well, maybe grave robbers came and, uh, and, and they went into the tomb. But grave robbers wouldn't steal the body away. They'd steal the clothes and other valuable things. They could have said, well, maybe the authorities, 
Maybe the Roman authorities or the Jewish authorities, they stole the body because they were afraid that the disciples would uh, get it or that this tomb would be venerated and people would worship at the tomb. So we're going to steal the body away. If the authorities stole the bodies, then the body, then um, when the disciples started saying Jesus is risen from the dead, they would have said, no, he hasn't. Here's the body. We took it because we knew you were going to make some story up like this, but here's the body. He's dead. He's gone. Let's leave it. <laughs> Over. But they didn't do that. And they didn't want Christianity to start spreading because it, it started getting way out of control for them. Some people say, well, the, maybe the disciples did steal the body. But the Romans would have guarded the tomb. In fact, one of the accounts says that that happened. And in any case, they wouldn't have gone the disciples wouldn't have gone from being locked away in fear or running away during the crucifixion in fear of their own lives to suddenly saying, Jesus has risen. And the authorities are saying, stop saying Jesus has risen. They say, we can't do anything else because he's risen. And they went and carried on proclaiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and they couldn't shut up about it wherever they went. 11 out of 12 of those disciples were martyred. They were killed for their faith because they carried on saying, even to death, Jesus Christ is risen. Why would they have done that if they had stolen the body? If they knew it was a lie, there's no way that is going to happen. No way at all. So there's an empty tomb and there's no body and nobody's ever been produced. No evidence has ever been produced that Jesus stayed dead. Secondly, many different people claim to have seen Jesus. We've read about some who saw Jesus there, but 1 Corinthians 15 says that at one point, Jesus appeared to 500 different people. And as Paul is writing that, he's saying some of them are alive today. Well, why is he saying, although some are dead, he said, some have fallen asleep, but some are alive today. Why is Paul saying that? Why is he pointing out that some are alive today? He's saying, go and speak to them if you're not sure. They're still alive. They'll tell you that they saw him. So he's not going, oh yeah, he appeared to three or four people. They've actually died, but never mind. You've just got to believe it anyway. He's saying some of them are alive. Go and speak to them. Different people, different times. You don't get mass hallucinations going on. Saul, or Paul, was one of these people who encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life was turned around. He was persecuting Christians. He saw, he oversaw Stephen being killed. And then his life totally turned around. He was the one who was the most anti-Christian that there was. And suddenly he's going, telling everyone about Jesus, planting churches, proclaiming Jesus. He went and died eventually. He endured beatings and shipwrecks and all sorts of pain and suffering in his life. Well, why would he have done that if it wasn't true? If he hadn't encountered the risen Lord Jesus? He's a historical figure. What would have turned that around? We read his letters. We read what he says himself. He talks himself about his experience of encountering the risen Lord Jesus. Some people say that the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they just made it up. If they just made it up, they did a pretty bad job about it. Because if you're wanting to persuade someone that Jesus is risen from the dead... You have, as your first witnesses to that, the, the really important people in society who everyone's going to listen to, who everyone's going to take note of. 
Um, so it might be some religious people or some of the Romans or whoever it was. Who, was, who were the first people throughout the Gospels of, who encountered Jesus first of all? It was Mary, Mary Magdalene, the women. Women at that time were totally disregarded. People wouldn't have, they, wouldn't, they couldn't even give testimony in a court of law. They couldn't have stood in the court, oh, we're not going to listen to what they say to us, because they're women. And that's how it was at the time. So why would the gospel writers have made up a story and had women, Mary Magdalene, probably a prostitute, why would she have been the first to see if you're trying to persuade people that this happened? Actually, it's just, you only have it if that's true, if that's what happened. And the gospel writers were willing to die as well. And many people since have experienced Jesus in their life through the Holy Spirit. Many people throughout centuries have seen miracles. Many people even here today have seen miracles. But there are still many people. So there's a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence. We can look into, did Jesus rise from the dead? Overwhelming evidence, I would say. It's hard to argue that he didn't. The arguments are not as strong. But many people today, and maybe you yourself, are like Thomas, and you still doubt. And you say, well, I, I've got to see it myself. I've got to experience it for myself. I've got to know for myself. For Thomas, the evidence wasn't enough that he'd already got. And for some of us, the evidence maybe isn't enough. But I think what was going on with Thomas, and I think what can go on in our lives too, is deeper than that. I believe it's deeper than just looking at the physical evidence. Even though that is important to know because you've got to base it on truth. But I believe what we are often saying is, I need to know that I'm loved by God. I need to know God for myself. It's one thing knowing about this guy Jesus and, and okay, he died, but what's that got to do with my life? And my life's in a mess. My life's I'm desperate, I'm struggling, I'm battling all sorts of things. So what does this guy, Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, have got to do with me, even if he did come back to life again? Who cares? Really? Who cares? Because what we need to know is that that has an impact on our life. What we need to know is that actually we're loved. We're loved by God. That God cares. And I, I believe that that's actually what was going on with Thomas too. I believe deep down, Thomas is absolutely devastated. He's absolutely devastated. He's already suffered such grief. The one he loves has died a horrible, cruel death on the cross. Everything he gave his whole life for is over. And now, Jesus shows up, and he wasn't even there. <laughs> What's that about? Does he not care about me? He says to the other disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And what about me? What am I receiving? I've received nothing. He didn't even show up when I was there. He's missed it. And he's got to think, why? Why did Jesus choose to come when I wasn't there? Why, why did he not wait? Till I got back. Why? I don't get it. He's missed out on probably the greatest thing that has happened in the three years that he was with Jesus. And 
It just seems like such rejection. It's just, God, why? Jesus, you're rejecting me. We can feel that rejection in our own life sometimes. Maybe once we were full of hope for our life, but maybe things have just not panned out and gone the way that we hoped. Maybe we just think it's gone wrong. Everyone else around us, it's kind of, you know, maybe we've grown up in the church and, and we were once those who were celebrating, but now, now we, can't quite, we can't quite be there with everyone else because we're just battling these things. And, and we feel we can't even talk about them because everyone else is like celebrating and hey, he's risen from the dead. And we're just like, but what about me? But why have these things happened to me? Why am I struggling with the things that I'm going through? Doesn't Jesus love me? He loves everyone else. What about me? We can be going through that. We just want to know God's love for us. We want to know Jesus loves us. We want to know he loves me. I think that's what Thomas was getting at when he said, unless I, and he, he doesn't say it in that way. He says, unless I see the nails, the, the marks from the nails, unless I put my hand in his side, I think what he's meaning is, I want to see Jesus myself. I want to see him. You've seen him and I want to see him. God's a gracious God. Let's read from verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and have yet believed. So a week later, the disciples were in the same place, same position. This time Thomas is there. Thomas is there. He's learned from the week before. Philip's gone to get the milk. But they're there together. And Jesus appears. And what does Jesus say? He goes straight to Thomas. They're all there. Jesus says, Thomas. He comes to Thomas. He knew what Thomas had been saying. He knew what Thomas had been thinking. He knew what Thomas had been struggling with. Because God knows. God knows our thoughts. God knows our hearts. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for his lack of faith. Sometimes when he was with his disciples, uh, you read the gospel stories and he, he gets pretty frustrated with them. <laughs> and they go, oh, you have little faith. How much longer do I need to put up with you? He says things like that. He doesn't say that to Thomas at this point. That's not what he's saying to him. He just says, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. I believe that that's what God would want to say to some of us lovingly this morning. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. We've, it's been wonderful this morning 
I've loved it because we've we've celebrated Jesus's resurrection and in, in worship, and we've we've celebrated a new birth, and we've heard we've heard some of the difficulties and struggles beyond what we most of us would imagine. We've heard about sickness. We've heard about neighbors being taken away and killed. We've heard about long journeys to escape and find freedom where some die on the way. But they've been celebrating the love of God and his deliverance and his salvation. You know, these things come together. We, we struggle. We struggle with life. But we've got a God who loves us. He does love us. He comes to us and he says, stop doubting and believe. And for Thomas, actually knowing Jesus' love for him, it was enough. And he, he responds immediately. And it doesn't say he goes and touches his wounds and puts his hand in his side. He said he needs that. Oh, I need to do that before I'll believe. He needed to know Jesus loved him. And when he knew that, when Jesus said, Thomas, come on, I'm here for you. He just fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. It's one of the greatest confessions of faith in the Bible. He's encountered the risen Lord Jesus and he's known that is speaking to him and he is loved and he is accepted and suddenly everything's changed and now there's no more stubbornness or pride or unbelief or saying I'm not interested and all the hurt's gone and he's just submitting to Jesus Christ who is now his Lord and his God because a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus it changes us it changes us and, wh and what about us? How is that relevant to us? Because that's great for Thomas. But what about us? Well, Jesus goes on to say, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. From then on, people aren't really, after that short period of time, Jesus ascends to heaven, people aren't going to see in person the risen Lord Jesus. So yes, there's the evidence. But Jesus said, I'll also send you my Holy Spirit. And we can encounter the love of God by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. We can know God's love in our heart. When we know him and follow him, we receive the filling of the Spirit. But God's Holy Spirit comes and he, he touches our lives and he meets us. He meets us where we're at because he loves us. And, and John says, there were many other things that were written down. I don't know if we've got this verse. There were many other things that were written down uh, in the many signs that Jesus did in the presence of disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As we believe in Jesus, he gives us life in his name. We may be physically here this morning. We might have been physically here for many months and years without really fully embracing Jesus or believing in him. And if we don't, we don't receive life in his name. We don't experience it. We're in the same position Thomas was in. We're surrounded by a bunch of people who are talking and singing excitedly about Jesus. And we feel more alone here than anywhere else. Because we just feel rejected. And we feel we're not part of it. 
And maybe we're more of a, spe- a skeptical personality and, and we hear what God's been preached about, God's love and grace and his plan for our lives, and, and, but we doubt it. We can't quite believe it for ourselves. We think we're not good enough. We think there's no way that God would love us. But let me encourage you, God would want to come to you today by his Holy Spirit and say, stop doubting and believe. We don't need to be good enough. Actually, Jesus paid the price on the cross. He was good enough for us. And we can receive life freely because of his goodness. He wants to come and meet you this morning. Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. We can encounter him this morning. We can meet him ourselves. Maybe God's already been touching you and speaking to you during the worship. Actually, I think God has been speaking to people. What Jody brought, I feel, fits in really well with what God's been saying. She didn't know what I was preaching on this morning, what Gary brought similarly. God's speaking this morning. He's encouraging us. He loves us. He's alive. Maybe our ideas about what God's like have begun to change. Listen, God can, can transform you from someone who's full of doubts and fears and cynicism and insecurity, hiding behind locked doors or maybe the locked doors of our lives into someone who knows God and can come into all that God's got for us in the future. I want to finish off by telling you about a friend of mine called Steve. <laughs> Steve, when I, Steve was very cynical when I first met him. Steve was very hard. Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) His father was a preacher, but his father cheated on his mum and left her and him and his family. So Steve was very hurt. Steve was a very angry man, very angry man. And And he turned it against God. He was vicious towards Christians, vicious. He, and he's very sharp, and he's very intelligent, and he would cut them down. And Steve was working on a job, and he was standing on the production line, and he's standing next to an older lady who was a Christian. He made her life miserable, he said. He said he made it absolutely miserable. He was going on at her about her faith, her God, and she just took it all. And she said, Steve, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, Steve. Steve said, I don't want you praying for me. He says, and eventually he said, look, I'll tell you what. If, if your God is so loving, because remember, he's come from all this hurt. He said, my, my mum, she's trying to sell her house. She's having to sell her house because her dad had left. She's trying to sell her house, and it's not selling. God's not helping her, and she's the one who's been hurt. You pray that that house sells. And she says, okay, I'll pray that the house sells. He said, yeah, all right. He said, but how's it sell? It's been on the market for two years, but how? Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you a date, and it's going to sell on that date. You pray that it sells on that date. She says, okay. So September 29th, that's when it's going to sell. And I'm going to know that there is no God. That is not the case. She says, I'll pray that. The next week, she'd gone. He doesn't know. He'd never seen her since. Never seen her since. She'd left the work or been fired or, I don't know, maybe died. I don't know. He doesn't know where she went. 
But September 29th came around and the house sold on that day. Now, Steve didn't come to know God at that point. That wasn't the day Steve became a Christian. But that set Steve on a journey because he saw something there. Well, maybe, maybe there is something of God here. And he started a journey and he came to Alpha and he met people in the church and he found love and acceptance and he was still battling with a whole load of things for a long time. But he came to know God. And he knew that Jesus loved him. You can put the next picture up. And so he's got a beautiful family. And he's a great evangelist. He tells other people about Jesus. People come to know him. See, Steve's unbelief was because of what he'd been through. He was hurt. He was hurt bad. Maybe you're like Steve. Maybe you need evidence that God's real. But Steve needed God to heal his hurt. And maybe you do too. Maybe you're a child or a teenager who only comes here because your parents bring you and you just resent this God who your parents worship but doesn't seem to do anything for you and you have to come here week after week. God wants to meet you today. Maybe things have happened to you that have caused you to doubt God's love. But Jesus' death on the cross was the greatest expression of God's love that there ever could be. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. When we were rebelling against God. He died so that we might know the love of a father. Maybe you've never really known the love of a father, but Jesus died so that you might know the love of a father. He died so we might have life in his name. He died so that we might know that life goes on beyond the grave because he rose again. If the band want to come back up, maybe we could just have uh, the keyboard playing a little. We're going to worship in a moment, but I, I want to pray for us first of all. And I want to pray that you will know the love of Jesus that we will know the love of Jesus. Because I believe for some of us this morning, it's time for us to stop doubting and believe and embrace a God who is embracing us by his love and who wants us to know his love by his Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we, life can throw all sorts of things at us and we can believe all kinds of things about ourselves and about you. And we, and we cannot understand some of the things that happen to us. We don't know why. It seems unfair. It seems like you don't love us. Lord, and we know we can harden ourselves because of that. And Lord, I pray you'll forgive us for when we've done that. But Father God, I want to ask now that you will send your Holy Spirit right now into this room. 
that people will know your love for them. Well, for those sitting here who are like Thomas, who are just feeling, well, clearly this is for everyone else, but it's not for me. Lord, Holy Spirit, come, just pour your love into our hearts. Let us know you. Come personally to us. We believe the Holy Spirit would want to speak your name this morning and say, actually, among all these people who are here, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. And I'm saying, come to me. Stop doubting. Just believe. Just embrace me. I love you. I love you. believe when Jesus comes and speaks to us, there's a response in our hearts that we need to make too. For Thomas, he said, my Lord and my God. He recognized who Jesus was and he said, you're the Lord of my life. I'm yours. And I believe for some of us, that's actually what we need to do. Just in our hearts, just to say, my Lord and my God. And the promise is, we will receive life in his name. We'll receive life in his name. It's just in the quietness as we sit here, I just encourage you to respond to Jesus. In whatever way you feel your heart needs to respond, just speak to him now in the quiet. Lord, may we all know your resurrection life. May we all be filled with your spirit. Lord, will you take us and change us from people who are in fearful, doubtful, to those who know that they are loved and who go with a message to a world that is lost and confused and knows no love a message of love and hope. Lord, let us be those who go out in your name. Lord, we love you. We worship you. There's no one like you. God, we give our lives. We give our lives to serve and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, look, why don't we stand? Let's worship God.